Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. I'm really excited to share with you today. We know that in March, it's the end of fiscal year. It's the beginning of fiscal year. And a lot of organizations are either doing their 12-month plans or getting going for upgrading and refreshing their three-year strategic plan. So today, my guest is Ruth Nicholson from Nicholson Facilitation, and I wanted to get her to share her best practices in 20-plus years of leading strategy meetings so that you can take her tips on how to engage stakeholders, how to make sure that everybody gets their meeting objectives met, and some tips and tricks on how to engage the people with your meeting so that everybody leaves happy with the objectives that came out of there. So I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, We recorded this podcast on the go, so I do want to apologize ahead of time for some garbling on the noise. We edited it as best as possible. Um, So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. One of the other things that I'll mention is that we created a course on how to create a strategic plan. And I walk you through each individual step in the planning process, as well as provide downloads and templates that you can use exactly to create your plan. They're the exact same templates we use with our clients, and we really made them to make it easy and painless to create a strategic plan. So if you're one of the folks creating your plan in the spring, be sure to check out our course on how to create a strategic plan available at smestrategy.net. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's podcast with my guest, Ruth Nicholson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, we have a very special episode. I'm joined by Ruth Nicholson, who is an IAF certified professional facilitator. She is the founder of Go, Governance and Operations Resources for Youth Sports, and is a partner of SME Strategy. Today, I'm joined by Ruth Nicholson. Ruth, how are you today? I'm great. I'm so happy to be with you. I'm really excited. We have a lot of phone calls one-on-one. So I'm a facilitator. Ruth is a facilitator. And as we get into spring, wanted to showcase some of the stuff about not just facilitation, talking about what we're taking on, but sort of what we see in meetings, because you and I both live in meetings, right? (laughs) We may be the only people on the planet who actually enjoy them. Yeah, (laughs) yes, absolutely. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your background, what you've been doing in your facilitation career, and then a little bit about Go, and then we'll get into some questions. I've been facilitating for a little over 25 years. I actually started in the technology and science realm because I'm trained as a scientist, and ended up not only facilitating, but doing a lot of large group mediation, topics like nuclear waste cleanup and endangered species conservation, topics where people come to a meeting with strong opinions and sometimes strongly differing opinions. At the same time, I was raising a family, and also the sports community that my children played in would say, well, Ruth, can you help us with strategic planning? Can you help us with some conflict? Can you help us with a meeting? And so my practice ended up having two wonderful pieces that were quite different, the science and technology piece and the uh, youth sports piece. I like to say the youth sports side is just facilitation in a different color jersey. And in 2017, we rolled out the Go platform. It stands for Governance and Operations. And it's 
a series of documents. I think we've got 60 some odd documents and 20 webinars, training webinars that's intended to help people in youth sports, whether they're boards of directors or staff or coaches or volunteers with the organizational side of it. The stuff that we as adults have to do so our kids can actually go play a sport. And that's been great fun. Over the last five months, we've engaged 26 different sports on four continents, helping people do what I call the off-field team, the off-field team of adults that needs to collaborate to give our kids a good sports experience. My kids are grown and gone, and I have adopted kids in a whole lot of other sports now. Well, that's awesome. Well, it sounds like you get to combine both work and play um, in a very active way and then contribute to the community and contributing through your work to add a lot of value to other people. So that's awesome. So one of the things that I underlying all of that, I mean, I hear structure and process and I hear communication. So, you know, what I wanted to do out of our conversation today is to show the managers and leaders from around the world less around the tactics and techniques of communication and how to facilitate, but what are some of the opportunities that you can get from having a strategy meeting or a facilitated meeting and then some of the risks to avoid? Maybe that would be a good place to start as far as what are some of the challenges that you've seen teams deal with and how can they start to address them in a type of facilitated meeting or just a big group meeting? So yeah, what are the common challenges that you've seen with teams? I think there are two that come to top of mind. One is that when you're bringing together a group, a team, that they all go through the same process and it doesn't matter if you're in the boardroom or on the side of the soccer field. The forming storming, norming, performing spectrum that every team goes through. The forming when we're all being, you know, really nice to each other and behaving and the storming when we realize that I'm a morning person and you're an evening person and we're trying to work together. And getting through that storming phase is often really scary for people because they don't understand it's, it's just part of the process of becoming a team, of becoming a group. And when you're disagreeing and storming and learning how to work together because you're different, it's uncomfortable. And, and we tend to be uncomfortable with disagreement and conflict. And so facilitators can help people work through that because you trust in the group. You trust that, you know, they've come together to do something good. I think part of making that work is the second thing that comes to mind, which is knowing the purpose of the group and the gifts and the roles that each person in the group is bringing. And it's okay. And in fact, it's great when they're different perspectives and different roles, because that's what gives you that sense of team. I mean, I, I tease my soccer buddies and I say, you know, you wouldn't put 11 goalkeepers on the field and expect to win the game easily. I mean, you might win the game, but it might not be pretty. But you do need a really good goalkeeper. But there are all these other positions to fill, and, and having that on your team and learning how to operate as a team, I mean, once you get past the storming, you can do really great things. And to be perfectly clear, 
I'm suggesting that you should use a facilitator. <laughs> like Ruth hasn't said it, but I am. As in, you know, <laughs> if you're going to have an important meeting, and we'll get into that, really do use a facilitator. And it's totally self-serving that we say you do it, but we know that the value it brings. We also recognize that there's a lot of organizations, in, you know, in these youth sports, in nonprofits, in small businesses, even in medium-sized businesses that don't have the budget. You might not be able to use a facilitator. And as we talked about in one of our previous podcasts, if you don't have a facilitator, you are the facilitator. So fundamentally, it's how do you, as a leader, get your team on the same page and get them through the forming, storming, norming, performing, adjourning phase and get everybody playing the right role or as Jim Collins says it, like on the right seat of the bus. And you can do all of that through meetings and facilitated meetings, group meetings. I've found that there are a way to make that process happen a lot faster because that is the intention of why we're all there. Is there anything that I missed in that as far as, you know, getting teamwork and getting everybody on the same page as a common challenge is that people don't put diverse teams together? Is that one of the things that you had mentioned? I can remember a, a story, a client a long time ago, and it was a, a group that needed perspectives from the community. To, to It was a closing military base, and they had to decide what to do with the property because the Army was leaving, and they left somebody out. It was in Wisconsin, this dairy company. They left out the largest dairy farm in the country was right next to this old base. And they said, yeah, but he's really hard to work with. We don't want him here because he's really hard to work with. They left him out. The process failed not once, but twice. And they hired me to, on the third time. And I said, why is that interest not at the table? And they said, he's too hard to work with. And I said, well, we can't leave dairy folk out in Wisconsin. And I said, well, you know, why did the process fail? And they said, oh, some county council. And every time our plans go to the county council, they say no. Well, you have to make sure that the right perspectives, the right expertise, that the right people are at the table, or you're just going to pay for it later. When he was at the table, we came to agreement. And the first couple of meetings were really hard because he was kind of angry about being left out. But they came to agreement. They got through it and they came up with a really good product. They learned how to work with each other. It was good. Got it. So for our managers and listeners, if you're planning a meeting, and we'll get into the nitty gritty of what a meeting could look like, but it's important to have multiple perspectives and get, you know, the important stakeholders, the people with power and influence and different perspectives, because it'll give you a broader picture and not something myopic. You can't move it forward if you don't have those key people at the table. It's easier to stop something than it is to create and move something forward. Yeah. Do you mind if I add something from a, from a strategy piece on that, Ruth? Is yeah. That okay? And I don't yeah, know if you found this when you talk to your groups, but when you have a strategy, so we've, we've had the meeting, we've had the perspectives, we create the strategic plan, which is you know what we specialize in, and then you put it out to the people, and if they're not with your plan, they're against it often and getting them on board. And we found just getting people bought into the plan and sharing it and them seeing the opportunity in it is way easier than putting a plan out there and then having to drag people kicking and screaming because they, not necessarily that they weren't part of the process, but that just, it's a plan that was, and we say this all the time, pushed on them instead of them being brought into the plan. So just getting everybody's buy-in into the result of the meeting is equally beneficial. Right, right. There's, there's really, it's, it's fascinating to me 
um, whether it's a strategic plan or even just sort of a basic meeting to make some, you know, business decisions. There are two kinds of meeting satisfaction, and you got to have both to make it work. One is that the substance of what you came up with makes sense. It meets your budget, it meets your program goals, whatever those substantive technical components are, right? But the other is a sense in your community, whether it's your your business or your nonprofit or your sports team, the way you developed the plan, the way you came up with those decisions is fair and logical and makes sense. Because if people think that a couple of big dogs went in the back room and cut a deal, they could have come up with the most brilliant idea But if people don't think it was done in sort of an above board kind of way, they'll never truly trust it. So it's not just what comes out of it, but the process that created that decision making rule or that outcome in the first name. So not only just the result, but the process that came to get it. Exactly. If people don't trust the people in the process, then you're going to have more of a challenge persuading people to buy into that vision and that strategy. So let's talk about the process a little bit more. So we have managers and leaders. We're just finishing up Q1 here and saying, okay, great. How are we going to set the direction moving forward? So what are some of the opportunities that people can take and say, how do people use these type of meetings to move forward their organization? You know, one of them, you said (laughs) you did mediation. So mediation is probably not the place that you want to start off at. But what are some of the opportunities that people can create within meetings? When I teach people how to do a meeting, I've got like a five-minute spiel about it, you know, how to do it, and I draw it. I'm a visual facilitator, so I, I draw a lot. And I think the most important word is why. And that's because every meeting really has three kinds of purpose that are, that are running through it. And when you're clear on purpose, it makes it easier to get your stuff done. So there's the purpose of your organization, or maybe it's the purpose of a really big project or program. And then every meeting you have related to that, there's a purpose for that meeting. And you should be able to explain the purpose of this meeting is to create a budget. The purpose of this meeting is to figure out what staff we need to to do it. The purpose of this, you, you should be able to fill in that sentence. The purpose of this meeting is. And then when you do your agenda, the stuff you're going to do in the meeting, everything on your agenda has a purpose. And you should be able to articulate, I put this on the agenda because, just briefly, imagine that we're, we're talking about budget. Well, if I put just the word budget on our agenda, you don't know if we're creating a budget, reviewing a budget to see that it's updated, amending a budget. What is the thing we're going to do about budget? The minute You're clear on what you want to accomplish, that purpose, that why, then it's much easier to align your activities, your decisions, the people you need in the room. To me, the magic of a good meeting is understanding the purpose. Why are you there? And what do you want to accomplish? And everything else flows from that. Absolutely. So getting clear on what that is and that everybody else is clear and then building your agenda items around that. We see a lot of people on SME strategy, we have, you know, a one day or a two day strategy session and we jam in like so much stuff in there. And the advice I actually give people when they call or we have a conversation, I say like, don't do too much. You know, if you're going to do it yourself, you know, we're trained facilitators and we have a process that we've done a bunch, but 
often I see people say, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. They try to do too much and they actually don't end up doing the the main thing that they wanted to do in the first place. I had a group I worked with for four years, five years, and it was an advisory committee around nuclear waste cleanup. And you can imagine they didn't agree on much most days, but literally we had a two-day board meeting and upwards of three to five committee meetings every month. We lived in meeting hell. And I would ask every committee chair I had when we were planning a meeting, what's the prize? And what that meant was, if everything goes pear-shaped, if the meeting is a bust, what are the one or two things we absolutely must accomplish in this meeting? And so as a facilitator, if things didn't go like we planned, I knew what we had to get done, and I could triage the meeting to make sure that those one or two things were accomplished. Now, the optimist in me wanted to accomplish everything, of course. But with my clients, they knew whenever we planned a meeting, I was going to say, what's your prize? Well, you have to get out of today. That was the deliverable, and everything else was gravy. Being in so many meetings with so much, we'll say information, I imagine there's a lot of information, Are there some things that you would recommend our managers and leaders to avoid in the meeting process? We got the, at the end of the day, what are the one or two things in the pursuit of that prize? What are some things to avoid that you might want to include in your meeting, but it actually will be counterproductive to moving it forward? There are basically three kinds of activities that we do in meetings. I mean, okay, so this is like telling the world the biggest facilitation secret, right? There are really only three things you do in a meeting. You either share or gather information. You analyze or discuss or make sense of information. And you make decisions. So that's what, so what, now what? You know, what's the information we know? So what does it mean? Now what are we going to do about it? So if you have a meeting that is only there because we're sharing information, I mean, meetings are expensive. If you add up, you know, what everybody in the room makes hourly times how long your meeting is, you're going to come out with a big number. So if you're having a meeting to share information, that may not be as much as, as valuable a use of your time as meetings where you need to make sense of information. So what does it mean and, and interpret that or whether you have to make a decision? So if you're trying to figure out how to spend the valuable time of your colleagues, your employees, or your volunteers, meetings that need you to come together to create something, to decide something, tend to be better uses of your time than we're going to have a meeting and we're going to go around and each of the 15 of us are going to give a 10-minute report on what our department is doing. Oh, my gosh. People are going to be asleep by the third person. So it it goes back to purpose. There are many ways to share information. It's when you have to get the group together to create something, to discern something. That's when your meeting time and your face time is going to be the most productive. We got these important meetings. Uh, The people are getting together. You've got, you know, seven or eight of the top brass in the meeting. You might be doing an offsite. So not only do you have the salaries for seven, eight to 10 to 12 to 15 people, you're spending money for travel. People are coming from all over the place and you need your meeting to go well. You would recommend a facilitator, I would assert. 
Yeah, and, and for a couple of reasons. One is that if your meeting sponsor or the CEO or whoever the big boss is, they often want to participate in the meeting. And quite frankly, it's really hard to participate and run the meeting at the same time because you set up a power differential. Well, if the boss likes it, you know, I don't want to have like a different opinion. So you, you enable everybody to participate. A facilitator can help with questions and process, level the playing field, level the power differential so everybody can participate, can speak up, can have an opinion and not necessarily feel threatened because there are people in the room who have been there longer or maybe hold higher level positions or whatever. I mean, it sets the table for a great meal. The people still have to come with the information and the ideas. But the other thing a facilitator can do is a facilitator will hear different things. A facilitator can hear hidden assumptions. A facilitator can often hear a fear or a concern about, well, gosh, what if that happens? And can help articulate those other slightly hidden things in the room that the group may need to deal with in order to be successful. And then one of the things, again, going back to your, your mediation background, is that sometimes if you have two opposing opinions, I found that, you know, as a facilitator, it's a little bit easier to, well, I'll use the word diffuse, but get people to see that they're actually on the same page, or if they're not on the same page, creating a productive way that they can move forward and test their disagreements and actually not sit in that place where they're both just mad at each other, but that it ultimately moves forward because moves the meeting forward because that's the worst when you have somebody like deliberating on a subject for way too long and you're like well we have other stuff to talk about but we can't move this forward right a facilitator doesn't necessarily need to be an outside facilitator because i know there's other people in other departments that could facilitate your meeting for you but a facilitator themselves is a trained professional and ruth you're a certified professional facilitator so you've gotten all the training and things like that so you know what it's like to be in a meeting and see differences of people and differences in opinion and all that. Yeah, I actually actually train facilitators and I I assess them for the professional certification. I've done that in the past. One of the great things a facilitator can do, and and whether it's an internal facilitator or someone hired from the outside, funny enough, it goes back to that question, why? I guess it's the world's best question. I'm a new grandmother, so, you know, my toddler age grandkids, their favorite question is why? Because when you're in a group and there's a difference of opinion, there might be a position. I think we should do this thing. And someone else says, well, you know, I think that's a bit nutty. I don't think we should do that. And now you have a disagreement. One of the great things about the question why, as illustrated by, you know, our children and grandchildren, is every time somebody asks you why, You have to go a little deeper. You have to go into an interest rather than your position. Why do you want that? Well, because it doesn't cost as much as your alternative. Okay, well, why is cost important? Well, cost is important because it matches up with our revenue stream or it doesn't. Every time you ask the word why, somebody has to give you a little more information a little bit deeper. And when you start understanding the the interest, the why, your opportunity for coming up with different strategies, with different answers, with different solutions increases. That's where the creativity in a group comes about. Because if I realize that you're not necessarily opposed to my crazy idea, you're worried about cost. Well, okay, so how many ways can we manage cost? And all of a sudden, the possibilities are broader. 
you take a situation where there's an opposition and it's closed down and by asking why you actually, you know, flip it on its head and start looking at what is possible and really like open up the worlds and not getting stuck into this only one way of doing it. You know, you create more solutions than you do problems. And and you build empathy with the person that, you know, perhaps you're butting heads with and you say, boy, I understand that your job is worrying about cost control and, and I respect that and I need that perspective so that whatever strategy we come up with honors the financial needs of this organization. So you don't have to agree totally with the proposal, but you can build that teamwork with that person because it is an important thing that you need. And that helps you down the road. It'll help you in the future, too. It speaks to your original point of moving from the forming and the storming, you know, where people have those differences of opinions or, you know, it might be scary or confrontational. And then when you actually, like, can take that next leap, you take that confrontation or disagreement and then you turn it into performing. And that's when results happen. For me, it's great fun when when you're sitting with a group and perhaps you've been storming and, you know, kind of learning how to dance together. And somebody in the group will say, but I remember Sarah is always worried about how our frontline people are going to deal with customers when we have a difference in policy. And Sarah perks up and goes, oh my gosh, he validated my work or my need or my concern. And it really, it goes a long way to say, yep, we're becoming a team. We now care that your department works as well as my department. And I found also in those type of meetings, you know, to your point, and I don't know if I've exactly pinpointed, I'm sure there's been those aha moments where you can sense there's a shift in a room. But when you have those opportunities to discuss, you know, future vision or, or key subjects, the team typically leaves the meeting with a feeling that everybody's aligned. And instead of just assuming that everybody was sort of on the same page, they really leave with that feeling that, yeah, like we're a team. And we can take on this growth, even if it's $10 million growth over the next three years, we can do that no problem because we're all on the same page and we're all moving towards the same place. I love at the end of the meeting to sort of stand off to the side and literally close my eyes and listen. Listen to the sound at the end of the meeting when people are like packing up their stuff and leaving. Because to me, the greatest I'm going to go celebrate moment is when you can feel the energy in the room. There's an excitement, there's a positive kind of vibe in the room. When it's really good, they, it's almost like they're saying, did you see what we created? Did you see what we did? Isn't this cool? And it is. To me, it's almost tangible. And I can hear it and I can feel it. Of course, as, as you know, somebody who's in private practice, it actually is a little bit tough on marketing. Because when you've really nailed it as a facilitator, People will leave the room and they will own what they've created and it's theirs. And your name isn't in that sentence. So from a marketing standpoint, it's kind of a pill. But from a success, you know, I'm now celebrating what these people have done and I was, I helped them do it. It's absolutely the best feeling in the world. That's awesome. You couldn't have put it better. That's why we do what we do. And at the end of the day, We get paid because we help other people achieve their goals and we help them make the most of their investment in their meeting. Well, I'll tell you a secret. I am one of the most competitive people you know, and I am competitive because if a group tells me this is what we want to accomplish in the meeting, to me, that's like the World Cup or the Super Bowl or the World Series. It's like, okay, we're winning this. We're nailing this. 
I am going to help you achieve that thing. My family will tell you, I am absolutely miserable to be around when a meeting doesn't achieve its purpose because the success always belongs to the team. And I'm just cranky when we don't meet a meeting purpose. I mean, to me, it feels like, you know, botching the last play in the World Series and losing it. That's my competition. Well, I mean, that's what you, you know, you just give it everything you got for those hours because it's there for the client. So, you know, what's the best piece of advice you'd give to a leader who's responsible for creating strategy and putting these type of meetings together? One, where you want to go. And two, understanding where you are right now. And then making that meeting, that conversation about what are the steps, what are the pieces, what are the things you've got to do to get from where I am sitting now to where I want to go and breaking that into manageable chunks and not, not making it more complicated than it needs to be. And if you know where you want to go and if you have a pretty clear understanding of where you are, then you can craft that strategy, you can craft that meeting, and it doesn't matter if it's as simple as I'm creating a budget or as complicated as I'm starting an entire new business in Singapore. And you just got to then from there, set the purpose of the meeting, get the prize, and then see what needs to be done left. Yeah. That's awesome. I really enjoyed our conversation today, and and I know we could go on for hours and hours, but hopefully that gives everybody a glimpse into what it takes to run a successful meeting, and I think you just put it so great and simply is get a gap analysis, look at where you want to go, look at where you are now, and then figure out the why in between, and then just make it happen. So where can people get a hold of you? NicholsonFacilitation.com is my website. Nicholson is N I. C-H-O-L-S-O-N. There's the phone number, the website, information on the sports services we offer. I would love to hear from you and help you out. Fantastic. So I've been chatting with Ruth Nicholson from Nicholson Facilitation and Associates, as well as the founder of Go, Governance and Operations Resources for Youth Sports. Ruth, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give it a share with somebody in your network and rate us five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And of course, if you and your team are getting together to plan a strategy meeting in the coming months, please do reach out to myself or Ruth and we'd be happy to see if we're a good fit to lead your meeting for you to do all of the pre-work and recap and ultimately to make sure that you and your team get the most value of your strategy meeting. And once again, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, and I look forward to sharing with you next time.